Hello, this is IP Stories by 4IP Council, a podcast about innovation and intellectual property. Join us and you'll hear about the journeys through invention, creation, and IP understanding of our guests. I'm Marta. And I'm Fernanda. And today we have invited Dr. Carlos Puente y Baliarda to have a chat with us. Carlos, you are a professor and consultant at the UPC, the Università Politecnica di Catalunya. You are an entrepreneur and a successful inventor, and we will talk about antennas later. But first, could you tell us what led you to where you are today? Hello, Fernanda. Thanks for inviting me to this uh, podcast and happy to, to discuss with you. So, so I started um, many years ago as a scientist. That is my, my original background, making uh, research uh, it, at the university in, in Catalonia, in Barcelona. Uh, and uh, at the age of 27, uh, I got my PhD and I was already leading my research team at the UPC in the field of uh, fractal antennas that we probably will discuss later. And, uh, and that's how I filed the very first patent in the world in the field of fractal antennas. And, and from there, the technology got quite significant traction mm -hmm. because of the properties of this uh, technology and its potential application in many, many uh, applications as we have it uh, today. So we got a number of, of awards, uh, international awards, um, uh, European awards, um, by the by the IST uh, nomination and then the World Economic Forum and so on and and this is how we realize well this technology um, has a great potential we need to do something with it and this is how we started the company the company Fractus together with my fellow uh, co-founder uh, Ruben Bonet and other shareholders mm -hmm. uh, technology company based in Barcelona. Uh, in the field of antennas for the wireless world. That was 30 years ago. Well, actually, no, no. It's 25 years ago now. And mm -hmm. uh, we are celebrating the 25 years of the founding of the company now. Amazing. So I was 30 at that time. Thank you, Carlos. Um, okay, great. So as you have mentioned, the fractal antennas, uh, guess what? My next question is about that. So it would be great if you could uh, tell us a little bit more about um, how they work and what sort of impact they had in the industry. Um, and if you could please explain it to people that, like me, have no technical background, that would be great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks, Marta. I, I would love to. I will give a try. Okay, let's see if I can get it uh, through. So, uh, first of everything, fractals is a family of geometries. It's a class of geometries, a special class of geometries that is actually very common in nature. Uh, and let me explain that. Fractal shapes uh, are shapes that include many copies of themselves inside the shape so you break the whole fractal thing into a number of pieces and each piece is equal to the whole shape at a different scale and why do we say that happens in nature for instance a tree which has a branch that uh, splits in multiple branches and then sub branches every part of a branch looks like a small tree if you wish 
okay? Or the cauliflower, or uh, the distribution of blood vessels in our lungs, okay? It's, it's, there are many examples in nature of these uh, geometries that are much more complex than conventional geometry, but uh, have these intriguing uh, properties, okay? And the idea behind the technology was that by shaping antennas with this special class of geometry, you could also get a special class of antennas. Mostly, you could make antennas smaller than usual and at the same time, make them uh, multi-wave or multi-function, meaning that one antenna could combine in the same antenna multiple communication systems, like, for instance, 3G, 4G, or 5G uh, uh, of a mobile phone into the same antenna, or uh, mobile connectivity like all those Gs plus Bluetooth or GPS or uh, a combination of services into one antenna, as opposed to having to need uh, 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 an individual antenna for each communication. These properties make uh, fractal antenna technology very attractive for mobile communications. At the time this technology was uh, born, which is 30 years ago, uh, 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 mobile technology was starting with the first 2G generation, the first digital generation was starting to boom. And it happened to be that because of the growth of mobile communications, this technology became a cornerstone of, uh, of uh, the industry because it's a technology that enable, um, enable antennas to be uh, shrink and embedded inside the phone, so removing the external antenna and going inside the phone, and deliver them these multi-wave, multi-function capabilities that modern uh, communications, mobile smartphones uh, need, need uh, today. And, and uh, this is why this technology had a, a huge impact in the, in the industry. Well, first of all, I have to say thank you for eliminating the huge antennas of our lives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we had the, the cell phones I, uh, with huge antennas and uh, it was just not so appealing, I would say. But, but uh, you, you are too young to remember that. I, I remember very well, but, but you are... <laughs> I, I slightly <laughs> remember, just just briefly, and it was already like, okay, we can say goodbye to this technology. Welcome a new one. Yes, it's convenient. <laughs> it's it's convenient, and it's not 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 only the the fitting inside, but mm -hmm. these multifunction capabilities that modern uh, uh, mobile phones and communications need today. Absolutely, you mentioned before that you file the the first patent uh in this field and i would like to know how much did you know about ip before you invented uh fractal antennas frankly speaking i knew nothing i knew nothing and i had no clue what to do when i faced the challenge of uh, patenting uh, fractal antennas and i was at a young researcher at the university at the time i had some help by the university but not much, I need to say. Uh, things have changed a lot in the last 30 years. And, and, and at that time, uh, the university was not very prepared for, for this. So I had to write the patent myself. And not having experience on that, I need to say that the very first patent I, I made was, um, let's say, a disaster. 
okay, from the drafting perspective. I'm proud of it because it was the very first patent in the world in the field of fractal antennas. So I, I can say we were the first. But business-wise, not very success, successful, not very useful. Uh, uh, to the opposite of the later patents that we did at, at the company. And how was the journey to become an IP expert? Um, so when we started the company, uh, Fractus, uh, in 1999, so, and that was four years after the first patent, I had to face, again, the challenge of protecting well the technology. Uh, this time, it was for real. Uh, we had living, I was leaving the university, my uh, other co-founders were leaving their jobs, creating the company, making a business plan, getting investors. So we needed to make sure that everything we made, this new great technology was uh, well protected. Uh, what happened was that the technology had evolved uh, through two more generations of technology. So in the, this, it was in the third generation after the original fractals that we got the technology ready for, for going to the market. And at this time, I had the opportunity to patent this specific third generation of uh, technologies. And this time, with the help of investors, with the help of uh, uh, good patent attorneys, uh, I could learn how to really make good patents that could broadly and, and strongly protect our technology and, 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 and file some key patents that became a landmark for the industry and also for, uh, uh, for the company. Because later down the road, we uh, realized that the patent asset we had at Fractus was key for, for our business and we could successfully develop uh, a business strategy uh, based on those patents uh, I, I drafted in this third generation. Okay, and at the moment you are actually teaching uh, the UPC about patent management. So you, you learned uh, quite a lot in that process and you are also consulting different SMEs. So I would like to know what are the most common mistakes um, or misunderstandings that you have seen both in, in class and also from, from tech startups? Um, that's, that's a very good question because the IP field, uh, patents in particular, are not very well known and understood by, by of course, by, public, by the general public. Uh, but even in, in, in business, uh, you find people having difficulties in identifying um, the, the, the essence of, of, of uh, IP protection, the essence of patents and, and the patents business. Um, I think that one common mistake is to, and to me that's a mistake, um, others might think it differently, but I think it's a mistake to look patents as a defensive tool. Something that you have just in case something that you file because maybe one day you will need to use it and, and that's, that's not a good approach because uh, patents are expensive. It's an, an, an expensive investment. And when you make an investment in any business is because you are 
expecting to obtain a return on that investment. So the question number one for anyone willing to invest in patents is how are you going to get a return on that investment? And if the answer is not clear uh, or you feel that you will not get a return, then why filing the patents? Why filing the patents? What I'm saying is that uh, in general, as opposed to seeing patents as a defensive tool, companies should see these patents as a business tool, a tool to develop a business and should think on the patents as an integral part of their business strategy and think how patents could help their business in growing faster through partners, through licensing, through a number of possibilities that uh, IP offers to, to uh, sophisticated technology companies. And that's probably, I would say, um, mistake number one. If I need to say another mistake number two, uh, that would be thinking that patents are just a legal thing that can be outsourced to attorneys. That's a big, big mistake. External attorneys can be extremely useful, can complement uh, the IP activities of a company extremely well, but you cannot add outsource something that is core to your business, core to your company. Uh, um, so companies, uh, particularly those where IP is to be relevant, technology companies in general, uh, need to create an, an in-house team that is managing the IP, that is managing the patent portfolio. Uh, so it makes business sense to make sure that the business strategy and the patent strategy are well aligned. And then this team, of course, can be complemented, helped with external attorney external patents. Okay, but there needs to be this internal team that connects the business area, the innovation area, and the legal, the legal area. Without this team, there is a disconnection and companies can be throwing away millions of uh, dollars in, in, in filing patents that are worth nothing. So that's, that's I would say, uh, a second common mistake. I really like that answer because it paints a picture that people should consider patents as something that they could monetize. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, Patents are most of everything a business tool. It's it's another tool to make business. It's an asset that can be embedded into a, an IP product that can be used to make business in many different ways. So IPs provide huge uh, variety of opportunities to develop business with partners and clients in a in a very creative and very innovative ways that, that can be very convenient. If they are managed well. You are the founder and currently SVP of IP and innovation at Ignion. Could you please tell us what's new about these antennas? Absolutely. Ignion is a technology company uh, we founded in 2015, also in the antenna space. And this, uh, ten the, the, this technology company has its grounds on a new generation, a completely new generation of uh, chip antenna technologies. 
So, uh, and chip antenna products, meaning that the antenna is now embedded into a tiny chip. So these new generation of antennas are uh, about 10 times smaller than conventional antennas. They fit inside this uh, chip, yet delivering these multi-wave uh, and multifunction capabilities that, that uh, modern communications and wireless communications uh, need, need today. Um, with these properties, this multifunction capability, yet the benefit of having an off-the-shelf uh, uh, standalone uh, chip uh, a component that you can buy from a distributor of the UK. You don't need to customize uh, uh, at all. You can uh, um, provide wireless connectivity to a huge variety of uh, of new uh, new generation of wireless devices, particularly in the field of the Internet of Things, and that includes, for instance, uh, trackers, wireless trackers, or meters or sensors, alarms, devices for domotics, healthcare monitoring. So uh, nowadays, everything becomes connected to the network and that needs an antenna, right? So that's that's what we are uh, doing at, at Ignion through these tiny chips of this new technology that is called virtual antenna. Okay, thank you, Carlos. So I think now we understand the last generation of antennas. And what we see is that everything is becoming more wireless and your antenna-related inventions enable you to not only improve the design of the devices um, with smaller and smaller antennas, but also to make them smarter, as we have talked about. So... I would like to know if, if, if you would give us a sneak peek into what you think is coming next. Good question and difficult to predict. But, but you know, um, there are some trends that are very clear. One important thing to understand is that uh, antennas are in the backbone of the Internet of Things. Uh, the Internet of Things is connecting and will connect in the following years zillions of uh, devices and we are talking about devices that move or devices that are located in a remote in a remote uh, hidden corner of the planet earth and you cannot connect with a wire to all these things okay it's completely unfeasible to think on a wi wired con connection to all these uh, devices so you really need antennas to, to get this connectivity of these devices to, to, to the network. And that means that the antennas will be the ones transporting all the data that all these sensors, all these IoT devices will bring into, uh, into the Internet of Things. And these zillions of data are the ones that will be used by uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, engines to uh, first number one, uh, get smarter, because to make artificial intelligence to become smarter, you need uh, uh, tones of uh, loads of data to 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 train these these uh, artificial intelligence engines, and and the Internet of Things will be providing uh, uh, this data, and also means that uh, the same artificial intelligence will be capable of uh, uncover hidden knowledge that it's in that data, but 
uh, that otherwise we need thousands of researchers and tens of engineers to figure out what is in that data, right? So the, the merge of connectivity uh, supported by, by uh, antennas and the big data that this will be supplying to artificial intelligence, I think will open a huge uh, new range of opportunities uh, for improving the lives of us and, and many business opportunities, okay? Of course, there can be some dangers related to the artificial intelligence that we need to be uh, uh, very careful about. But uh, that's, that's, that's a different topic, I would say. Before my next question, since you mentioned IoT, I would like to tell our listeners that we have a new section on 4IP's website uh, about IoT and cellular standards. So if you want to know more, go to 4IPCouncil.com. We will leave the link at the, at, at the description of this episode, and you can dig in to the subject a little bit more. Now, going back, what has been so far the biggest challenge you had to deal with? Well, uh, at some point, uh, the technology that we uh, created at Fractus uh, became so successful that uh, everyone in the industry was using our technology. And that means over 99% of the mobile phones worldwide, which means a market over a billion devices every year. Congratulations. So that's, that's huge. Well, congratulations, yes, but that was a challenge because the transition from external antennas to internal antennas became uh, immediate because once the first phones in the market uh, uh, were uh, there, everyone realized that, that that was the way to go. And that means that everyone started using our technology and not asking for permission for using the technology. And that was a challenge because everyone, all of our competitors were starting to compete uh, with the same tools that we had to compete with. It was our own technology. That means that we had to change our business strategy and decided to uh, start a licensing campaign, a licensing program to license all those companies that were already using uh, our technology. And uh, when that happens, uh, you need to uh, deliver a message that you are cred so you so you that become credible in the market in and people respects you and your intellectual property, your technology, it respects you as a creator of this technology. And, and sometimes that means that you need to defend your intellectual property rights in court. And that's something that, well, if you are not used to, can be certainly challenged. It was a challenge for, for, uh, for us at, at, uh, at the beginning. And, and we had, it was great that we had a great team inside the company, also great partners, and that uh, everything ran uh, smoothly in that sense. But not without an obvious challenge, particularly when, again, the entire industry and the big players in the industry are using your technology and you need to have business discussions with them. My God, I can only imagine how stressful that might be. Um, so I'm glad everything went well. 
at the end. And as an innovator, what do you think someone needs to develop an inventor mindset? That's a good that's a good question as well. And and um I feel that there are some some aspects of being an inventor that are quite inherent to uh to an individual but certainly some can be developed and uh for instance curiosity it's clearly uh uh a needed skill to become an innovator or an inventor um uh being naive as well so just thinking why not why not we can change this why not i can do it why not things can be different maybe sometimes you realize that there is a good reason why things are not different or things cannot be done but if you don't have this naive attitude to begin with you will never try so and and when you try several times sometimes you get it you know so being curious being naive is is too important qualities or attitudes to 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 have i would say also usually there is a desire to change or improve or to make an impact in the world because when you are inventing you are creating something by definition that nobody has done before and 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 uh, that's it's uh, you need to have the desire and usually desire is that there is a purpose on that effort of creating that something new you see a big opportunity a big problem to solve and that triggers your your uh, that desire and also i would say that uh, being enthusiastic you know uh, enthusiastic about facing the challenge of of going exploring a new route that nobody has explored explored before and uh, and and that is uh, not absent of some risks, uh, some painful things, but there is a lot of fun and a lot of excitement and a lot of reward as well on on that uh, on that path. Speaking about uh, innovator and an innovation and inventor mindset, as a professor, what would you say to encourage young women and men to develop a career in STEM? Um, well, for me, it's difficult to say because I love STEM, right? But there is a reason why I love STEM. The, the reason I love uh, science, technology, engineering, math is because uh, when I was a student, uh, I didn't like very much to memorize huge things, you know, and that was the boring part of studying for me, at least for me, okay? Uh, however... Uh, um, doing math, physics was a little bit like playing a game. A game that sometimes the rules are a little bit difficult to get, sometimes. But once you get them, you don't forget them. And then you learn to play the game and you become better and better each time you play the game. And that's much, much, much more fun. So STEM are really fun once you make the click. And, and 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 you know how to how to uh, play in the game on top of that stem gives you a great opportunity to understand the world understand how the world works understand how nature works understand why 
things happen, why there are limits uh, in, 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 uh, in real life. There are always limits and challenges that, that uh, technology sometimes can solve, sometimes technology cannot solve. Understanding all that, it's, it's really, really fun. And the third reason for, for going to STEM probably is, is again, this, this uh, creative uh, mindset, this capability of, of transforming things, of making something new, of making an impact, discovering something new, uh, helping, contributing, uh, to change a little bit the world or a little or very much depends but always contributing to this uh, evolution of, of science and technology and, and that's that's really uh, uh, rewarding I would say okay Carla so we are reaching the end of the interview but I have one last question for you and this is as an entrepreneur what advice would you give to new generations of entrepreneurs regarding IP? Um, very good, very good point. Um, first of everything, you just cannot be a serious entrepreneur in the IP, in the technology uh, field with uh, a credible IP strategy behind. You need to have yes, want it or not, yes or yes. You need to have uh, uh, a credible strategy to bug your business, and you need to develop it because every business is is different. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, the IP strategy will be core, and because it's core in your business, uh, you need to start working on it from day one. It's not something that you can live for your third year when the company it's more a little bit much more stable and so on it's 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 painful because at the beginning you have many things to handle but again if you are an entrepreneur in the technology area i'm sorry you need to deal with ip from day one and also as i was explaining before you cannot completely outsource this you need you need to have someone in your team that takes this as a core activity. Uh, this person, this team, this individual or individuals will have assistance from, from uh, advisors or professionals outside, but that's the external help is not enough to build a strategy and a valuable IP asset. So you need to have someone inside that connects the business with innovation and with the legal things. Okay, so um, this would be my my strong recommendations to an entrepreneur in this area. I think that was great advice, Carlos. Thank you so much for having this chat with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marta. Thank you, Fernanda. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to IP Stories by For IP Council. Visit our website on foripcouncil.eu to find out more and check out the links mentioned during this episode. If you liked it, remember to share and subscribe.